The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Reclining at table with his disciples, Jesus was deeply troubled and testified, Amen, Amen, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another at a loss as to whom he meant. One of the disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, was reclining at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter nodded to him to find out whom he meant. He leaned back against Jesus' chest and said to him, Master, who is it? And Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I hand the morsel after I have dipped it. So he dipped the morsel and took it and handed it to Judas, son of Simon the Iscariot. After Judas took the morsel, Satan entered him. So Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Now none of those reclining at table realized why he said this to him. Some thought that since Judas kept the money bag, Jesus had told him, Buy what we need for the feast, or to give something to the poor. So Judas took the morsel and left at once, and it was night. When he had left, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and he will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little while longer. You will look for me, and as I told the Jews, where I go you cannot come. So now I say it to you. Simon Peter said to him, Master, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, though you will follow later. Peter said to him, Master, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Amen. Amen. I say to you, the cock will not crow before you deny me three times. The Gospel of the Lord. We have once again in our readings the one of the justly famous songs of the servant from the back part of the book of the prophet Isaiah in our first reading. There are four of them in total. We heard the first yesterday, the second today, we will hear the third tomorrow, and the fourth, the greatest of the four, we will hear on Good Friday when we gather to celebrate the Lord's Passion. And these four poetic oracles 
the songs of the servant. Speak of that one chosen by, called by, claimed by God who goes forth in the strength of his will and his might to effect salvation for his people. But he is a curious servant because it is not because he is powerful but because he suffers that salvation comes through him. The servant who will be wounded, the servant who will be broken, the servant who will be rejected. And in that brokenness, that woundedness, that rejection shows forth real power. The power of mercy, the power of love, a power stronger and greater than all of the violent hatred of this world. A remarkable series of statements and for centuries mysterious until Jesus. And we see alongside these oracles of the great servant of the Lord that one through whom mercy shall come in his suffering is Jesus, son and servant of the one who is truly father who will suffer and lay down his life for us and for our salvation. And in that very suffering will conquer even death itself for us. And with that in mind, we then turn to our gospel reading. The setting is that great and holy night of the Last Supper. And the disciples are around Jesus, and our attention is drawn not only to Jesus, but to three men who are there with him. And this is important because there is no engaging the fullness of the passion of the Lord without paying attention to the other characters. Jesus suffers, but he is not alone in most of it. And we see here today... Judas the betrayer, Peter the chief of the apostles, and that other disciple, the one whom Jesus loves. And in some level, note what that places before us. We have three classes of human heart, or better perhaps, three situations in which our own hearts can find themselves. We have the unfaithful heart, the traitorous heart, the heart capable of rejection and betrayal. We have a loyal but flawed heart, the heart of one who tries to be faithful, the heart of one who tries to be a good friend, and who often succeeds, but just as often, despite his best intentions, comes up short. He fails at loving, not because he doesn't love, but because he often shows his love in the wrong way. And that could be us on any given day, or perhaps in some relationships, most days. And then we have this other heart this heart that rests against the beating heart of the Lord himself, this beloved disciple whose life and character is marked by a singular intimacy 
with the Lord. Literally, not just sitting at the table with Jesus, but resting against him. And Jesus now, in the company of these three plus the others, speaks. And his first words in this gospel reading today are deeply, deeply moving words. St. John writes that Jesus was troubled, and he spoke out of this troubled part of his spirit. And when we hear that he was troubled, we wonder what it might be about. And all of a sudden, we can hear the pain in his voice over the simple fact that he knows one of his friends is going to betray him. And you can hear the woundedness in his words. I say to you, one of you here in this room with me, one of you who's been with me for three years, one of you who left things behind to be with me, one of you is going to betray me. And there's a real woundedness in the Lord's voice as he says this. He's stung to the heart, not by any blow of a scourge, not by any nail that would pierce his hand, but at the very thought that one of these whom he loves so much will turn his back to him and hand him over to his enemies. And we hear that this is shocking as well to the disciples. It's unthinkable. And all of a sudden, as soon as the Lord says it, we hear that they're puzzled too. They don't understand how that can be possible. And they look around at one another and they can't see in anyone there an unfaithfulness that would be so brazen, so great as to rise to that level. There's something unthinkable about this. And in yesterday's reading, we already heard everybody knew Judas was a thief. And yet, they look at Judas, and even knowing that weakness about him, they can't believe that even he would sink to that level. They wonder how this could happen. Who, this is a degree that goes beyond petty theft. This is a degree of faithlessness that goes beyond a simple misunderstanding. There's something mighty here because this is about the breaking of a relationship. It's not unlike the wound a husband or wife can feel when they discover infidelity in their marriage. It's not unlike the wound a husband or wife can feel when they hear those words, I don't love you anymore, I'm moving on. It's not unlike the woundedness all too many young people who grow up without a father or a mother because someone just walked away feels. It cuts deep into a person. And we see here then that the suffering of Jesus has already begun. 
It doesn't start on Good Friday when Pilate scourges him. It doesn't start in the garden when he prays and blood sweats out of him. It starts right here with the sting of that loss. An intimate friendship falling into nothing here in the room where he celebrates the feast with his disciples. How painful this is. And when the Lord speaks, he's speaking about all of that woundedness and that experience of betrayal and abandonment that we can know. And yet he's also speaking with the voice of the God whose own people at the foot of Mount Sinai erected a golden calf not long after he parted the waves, the waves of the Red Sea to save them. How quickly they forgot. How quickly they turned their back how time and time again he would save them and time and time again they would return to their idols. One of you will betray me. And we see then in Judas, while there's something singular about his betrayal of the Lord, it's also of a type. The human heart often turns away from God in this manner, unthinkingly at times, but habitually. And we hear in the Lord's voice that woundedness of the heart of God himself, who loves so much and receives so little love in return. And so it is then that in the puzzlement, Peter, who wants to know, but doesn't have the words to ask on his own, takes a shortcut. And he turns to that disciple who is so close to Jesus that Jesus won't refuse him. And it's absolutely beautiful, this, this next moment where Peter says, you, ask him, find out. Peter, who is normally so bold and speaks for himself all the time, not over this. You're the one who has to ask this because he likes you better than the rest of us. You ask him. And we hear that he Literally, this disciple's head is against the chest of Jesus. Note the intimacy. It's so close he can probably hear and feel the beating of Jesus' heart. Imagine that degree of intimacy for a moment. To rest so close against the Lord that you feel the beating of his heart with your ear. And it's this disciple resting on the heart of the Lord who says, who is it? And Jesus, in his mercy, does not expose the betrayer to what would be the very violent anger of the other men. He simply says, watch to whom I give the morsel, and you'll have your answer. And he takes a morsel from the dish, gives it to Judas, and he already knows the betrayal has happened. He already knows the decision has been made. And so he looks at Judas and says, if it's what you're going to do, then go do it. The moment is here. The moment is here. And what do we hear? The Lord says this, and Satan enters Judas. Jesus didn't put Satan into Judas. 
Jesus just looked at him and said, the door's open because you've opened it yourself. Your faithful, faithlessness has opened your heart. And this is the sobering lesson about Judas, the disturbing lesson about Judas. All of those smaller acts of infidelity open the heart more and more to the big act of infidelity. Great infidelity doesn't come out of nowhere. It comes from somewhere. And so over three years, this one who, with his voice, said, I choose to follow you, Jesus, with his body, walked behind Jesus, with his heart, all along was choosing something else until finally the moment came when he has to live and act according to the choice he had given his life to. And in a beautifully painful moment, St. John writes that he left and then it was night as if night suddenly fell when Jesus left the room to betray him. What a remarkable moment that is. And it's a reminder that faithlessness robs the soul and the heart of light. It brings darkness into the world. And as the movement of betrayal begins, night, the night of the passion, now has fallen. It didn't matter whether that it was night in the sky or not at that moment. The night that matters begins now. Because now the movement of betrayal has begun. And it's as soon as night falls that the tone of Jesus' voice changes. It's remarkable. The betrayer leaves and Jesus looks up. It is night. And Jesus says, and now is the moment of the glory of the Son of Man. Jesus looks into that darkness and he doesn't see it as a threat because he's come for this darkness. He's come for this moment. And he will show the world his true glory by means of how much he suffers and how much he bears for this world but he will enter the dark night of the world's faithlessness. He will enter this dark night of betrayal, which is not merely the betrayal of Judas, but knowing his friends will flee despite their desire to be loyal, knowing that all too many of those whom he healed will now mock him and laugh at him. But he will go into that night, and he will endure the dark night of all the world's pain. And that will be his glory. Because he will show the glory of a love that can overcome all of that. That can embrace it, bear it, and not be destroyed by it. What a remarkable moment this is. Night falls and the Lord speaks a word of light. This is the moment of glory. And glory is not darkness. Glory is brightness. And it is not simply my glory, it is the moment of the glory of God himself. And when I suffer, I will be giving glory to God within me. Because the world may ruin my body. The world may mock me, the world may laugh at me, but the world cannot rob me of my goodness unless I allow it to 
and I won't. I will glorify God within me with every step of my passion, with every step on the way of the cross. And note what he implies, that this is an act of worship. It is an act of mercy, an act of suffering, but it is those things because it is an act of worship. This is the way he will glorify God. So that all of those who likewise suffer in some way can even in their suffering and especially in their suffering also glorify God. It doesn't matter how easily the world recognizes it. It matters how thoroughly the heart knows it. How beautiful that is. And he looks and now he says, I'm going. I am going for this moment of glory. You can't follow me now. You're not strong enough. You're not ready. But there will be a day when you will. And we come back to our friend St. Peter, who speaks up again. And again, you have to love St. Peter because he asks the question nobody else will ask. Why can't I follow you? And this is the voice of the guy who says, unlike the clown who's looking to betray you, I'm not. I'm looking to be with you. I've walked away from my job. I've left my home. I'm with you. Why can't I continue to be with you? It's the voice of the guy who wants to get it right, who wants more than anything to get it right. He's passionate. He's invested. And he doesn't know how weak he is. He only knows how strongly he feels. This happens to us all the time, doesn't it? We feel so strongly, but we don't have the strength of our feelings. This is St. Peter. He wants this more than anything. And he doesn't know that as strongly as he wants it, he doesn't have the same strength in his character yet. And that's what the Lord says. Oh, no, you'll follow me later. But not now. You can't. And the Lord looks at him and says, you think you're strong. You think you're able to risk even more for me. But you're not ready to pay the price of that more yet. Jesus doesn't tell him what he's feeling is bad. Jesus simply tells him, because you're feeling it right now doesn't mean you can do it. You'll have to wait until you're stronger. Keep the feeling. Grow stronger. Peter, of course, wants to rush ahead and finds out to his dismay that he's not ready. And so he denies Jesus. But notice that when Jesus says that to Peter, there's not that same sting in his words of a man being cut to the heart. There's a certain sad understanding in the words. I know you want to. And you're going to let yourself down. And you'll let me down. But we'll get beyond that. Note that other note. And how beautiful it is that we have these three examples with us right now. Because it's us. It's us. On any given day, my heart can be faithless like Judas. On any given day, I can have that reckless enthusiasm of Peter, which is, Lord, I'm going to do it for you. 
And sometimes I get it right, and sometimes I fall flat in my face because I'm not always as strong as my desires are. And then there's that other one, that one who is the great model of the holiness of the church over these days, that one who is less concerned about moving and more concerned about resting his head right against the beating heart of Jesus Christ. And over these days, note how beautiful it is. We can name our faithlessness and be forgiven. We can look at the ways we measure up and the ways we fall short, and we can ask him to renew our strength and make us stronger. And we can have those beautiful moments of rest over this great and holy week where it's not about how faithful I am, not about how much I need to beg for mercy. It's about the simple fact that the Lord loves me and that's enough. And I can rest against that love until I feel the heart that produces it beating against me. That's the essence of this week. In these three men, and they're three very different relationships with Jesus. But note that it's the one Jesus and the one love for all of us. And how wonderful indeed that is. Amen.